Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bull, the Bear, and my brother's chair. Nate, did you ever think we'd make it to season four? Uh, I did. I was fairly confident, especially after season three, Then I figured four would be next. <laughs> Sequentially, that's usually how it yeah. goes. But I am excited for this year. Uh, it has been a lot of fun. We've had a lot of good feedback on the show. So uh, we still are open for sponsorship. Do we have any sponsorship dollars this year? Um. Not that I'm aware of yet, but okay. we're still there, sifting through the sifting uh, through inquiries, the offers. Good, the good calls. Yeah, let's let's make sure we don't you know take just random right. ones. We've got some exciting guests lined up for this year. I got a couple that I'm that I'm let's say bullish on getting, but I'm not quite uh, ready to commit and say their names yet because I'm not sure if they'll do the show. I've got a couple that I uh, have invited, or I, I should say I'm I'm kind of waiting to invite because they're actually playing in the Masters right now. Yeah, you don't want to ask Tiger so, during the tournament. I'm going to wait on that a few days. Well, we've got an exciting show either way. Uh, today's guest I'm pretty stoked about. Nate, this is the first guest who's actually back. Can you guess who that is? Um... I don't know. It is uh, Combat Decorated Navy SEAL, Mr. Marty Strong. Okay. And he talked last uh, last year about you know kind of e- equating what they learned in the SEAL teams to business. Obviously, you know, our, our jobs are a bit different than those in the uh, Navy SEALs. Slightly, yes. Lucky to have those people on our side. Thanks for all that anyone in the Armed Forces does for us. But Marty launched a new book this year in January called Be Visionary and that strategic leadership in the age of optimization. And one of the things he talks about in there is shifting thinking from tactical to strategic. And so one of the things that I want to talk to him about is, you know, you think of, he talks about in the book, three types of thinking, tactical, operational, and strategic, right? So tactical in their world is, taking a target, doing a thing, like things that you would imagine a SEAL is very, very good at. Tactically operational is how the supply chain works there, how to get you know equipment in somewhere. And then strategic are the overlying strategic initiatives of the, of the SEAL teams or military, whatever it may be. So one of the interesting things when you think about that is when you think about somebody starting a business, are they more... They're the most successful ones strategic and they put their strategy down and plan everything out and the operations and procedures or are the most successful ones, the tactical get in there and get, get stuff done. I think they're the go getters. Get stuff go-getters. done. So that one of the things I want to ask him is a lot of businesses are built because people are tactical. It is market and sell, right? Market and sell sales and marketing. They drive it forward. How does one shift later on? Who's so good and passionate and talented at the tips of your toes, so to speak, turn to the person who's now looking five years down the road. That's, I think, a challenge for most people because they're so good, but it's kind of a lesson in what got you here isn't what's going to get you there. So I'm anxious to hear his uh, feedback on that as well. Very good. What do we got for uh, bullish and bearish on today? I'm going to start. Uh, I'm going to start with a with a bearish. Um, okay. I think many of you will relate to this item that I'm about to present. Uh, many of you probably don't know the scope of, but I'm going to give you some tips today to figure this out. I am bearish on the amount of time we all spend on our cell phones, our mobile devices. I would agree with that. Okay. Uh, let me just give you a little tip here as to how I found this. If you have an iPhone, and if you don't have an iPhone, I don't, you don't know what have you're an doing. iPhone, but go get some help. Anyway, if you if you can either pull down on the main screen and search screen time Mm -hmm. or you go to settings and I'm not sure exactly where screen time is, but settings, figure out how you find screen time. It's right about eighth one down screen. So let me give you some, and if you click on all, uh, it'll give you the daily average and you see, see all activity. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the last five days, I've spent just over 20 hours on this device. Oh, so have I. Right at four hours per day. Um, it's 358. Yeah, I have, let's see here, a notification. So this could be text, um, your ring system, your like whatever comes up and alerts you on your phone is 110 per day. Okay, 110 notifications that somebody or something, and I don't even do a lot of pop-ups. Like 
I don't either. If DoorDash is going to deliver my food, just uh, I, I'm not. I'm not getting seven pop. So I try and not do the notification alerts, and I still have a hundred and ten per day. Oh, okay, that seems like a lot. Uh, there's one on here called pickups. I would assume that's the amount of times you pick up your phone in a day. Uh, I would assume so. Mine's a daily average of 104. Right. That's embarrassing. 104 times in a really you got a kind of a 14-hour period. This week, I've had 105 days, 126 text messages. I've got... Okay, way more than 112 emails. I don't even know what that means. But this is uh, not good for me. Notifications. Yeah, 187 text messages for notifications. Uh, three, 58, three hours and 58 minute daily average on this device right here. Yeah, I was trying that to find unhealthy. like the national average of people that what they spend on their phone. Having a hard time uh, finding that right now. Maybe I'll get it here in a minute. Uh, but anyway... I don't know what to do about that. I don't have solutions for you, but you know, you think about you look at Facebook or Instagram, and then you start looking at videos and go down the rabbit 14 hole. Fourteen minutes later, first you're watching a guy driving a jeep, you know, on the beach, <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's like an animal chasing a guy <laughs> in the forest, and I don't know how you get there, but we've all done it before. We all do it every day, and uh, anyway, it's something that. Um, I think we all need to work on. I would agree. It goes to the, sure the, the human solution. interaction or you're at home. Like I try to make a conscious effort when I'm around my kids not to be on the phone. And I probably still am on it too much or looking at it too much, even though I'm not looking at anything major. It's almost like my source of TV. Yeah. I don't when really your kids watch are TV. really little, it's easier. And now that they're older, they're like, yeah, on your phone. What are you doing on your phone? Totally. You're like, uh, yeah, nothing. I'm a terrible Nothing parent. productive. So anyway, <laughs> Just that's my bearish. Um, a cell phone is great. A mobile device is great, but too much. A little too much. I'm in agreement with you. All right, let's uh, maybe us and the listeners can make a, an effort to not be on our phones as much. Obviously, they are a part of your life, but I think a lot of the stuff Just I do quickly, on there is not the national average um, is three hours and 15 minutes of phone time per day. Okay. So and that's four hours on my phone and I'm working, but yeah. still, if I had the day off, I could probably do a lot more. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to fix that because that's uh, that's that was disturbing. So switching gears, I'm going to go to something I'm bullish on. Okay, and I am bullish right. on the kind of the refocus that companies, publicly traded startups, bigger companies have to do now, based on interest rates, based on uh, interest rates climbing, based on the lack of flow of money, lots of things going on out there, but. It was like in the startup world, and we know several people in private equity, venture capital investments, and not not in our business, but even in other businesses out there, be it medical device or wherever, the, the cash flow has slowed down a little bit in investing in a company. And companies have built you know, companies with the intent to sell them before they're ever profitable. In fact, they're building them at a massive deficit or a massive bleed hoping that someone is going to buy the potential for the company. So, Nate, name a company that's big that has historically been worth tons of money and made zero dollars, in fact, bled money. Well, there's a ton of them out there that we saw during COVID. Um, mm -hmm. And not that these aren't good companies yeah. that are doing well, but you look at um, things like all of the online car companies. Mm -hmm. uh, you had Vroom. Mm -hmm. okay, Vroom is like your classic example I don't know what the stock price is, but it was, uh, I think at one point, and let me just, uh, during COVID, as you know, everyone's going to be buying cars online, no one's going to the dealership anymore. It's now, under, it's now under a dollar per mm -hmm. share and has a, I don't know what the market cap is, but it's, at one point uh, in the heat of COVID it was $65. Right, and how much money did that place raise? People were giving them betting on the the come on zero, it, just bleeding money. Yeah, and so Uber uh, bled money for several years, and I'm not sure what their profits are now. But Uber also had a plan to get profitable. That was always in the cards. Where some of these companies and startups build with no intent of really making money, they want to sell it before they ever even get there. Other companies are buying them for to somehow monetize that. Now, what's interesting is as those companies are building 
and the flow of money gets cut off or slowed drastically from venture capital or private equity, they end up sitting there going, oh, crap, we got to build this business to make profit. Right. For the long term. For the long term. And our employees depend on it and all these things, which is why you've seen, I mean, what have you seen in the tech world over the last six months? Uh, prices have been smashed in public companies. Smashed in public companies, and most of them are laying off workers because they got too fat, weren't paying attention to the bottom line, and now it's, oh no, we got to focus on profits. So it's a, a good lesson, and if you're focused in business on profitability, I don't want to say your business is bulletproof, but you're certainly in a much better spot and a much more realistic expectation than some of the I mean, there, the there were companies, you think about even some of the ones that we talked to over the last few years that were private companies that were raising money, you know, their their burn rate per month is $4 million, let's mm-hmm. say. So they're going to burn $48 million and their revenues are on pace for, you know, $20 million. Mm-hmm. But last year we did $6 million and then we did $12 million and now we're going to do twenty. And so that used to be the thing of like, it doesn't matter how much money you're making, your revenues are just growing and growing and growing as you're just burning through money. Right. Well, now clearly that has changed and people are looking for, do you have cash flow at the end of the day? So I think public companies are perfect. That room one I gave you is a perfect example, but there's you know, probably a hundred others at least that have uh, felt, the, felt the pinch here over the last two years. Yeah. And so what, what, is a, what is a small business? We're not startup tech companies, whatever. What does a person listening do with that information? I think it's that you always want to focus on stability in your company, stability in your revenue, stability in your people. Ultimately, one day when you sell or transition your business or whatever it is, people buy. There's always a sale for a stable company. A profitable, stable company is always worth money. So that is something you can always drive towards. Make sure you're watching your bottom line. Make sure you're hiring so it's not just dependent upon you. Chuck talked about having a business versus having a job last season. Those things, if you keep those always at the forefront of your strategic thinking, as yep. as Marty would say, then yeah, you'll be in a good say, spot. Yeah, profitable growth, meaning how how does your top line revenue look versus your bottom line? If you're doing three million a year of profits and you're spending, let's say your spend is six million, but you've got you know three million of profits, well, you got to like balance those two. You don't want to go, well, man, we've got three million, so we're going to go ahead and spend it all. Right, but should you be figuring out how to keep every single penny? No, maybe you should spend another half a million. So profitable growth is certainly a trend, and I don't think that's going to reverse course. Now, at some point in our lives, again, we'll get back much like oh, remember yeah. before '08, oh, yeah. all the tech companies '08 hits, everyone resets. Yep, things are good for six years. Oh, we're back. So it it's a cycle, but certainly for the next few years. I think people are going to keep an eye on profitability. I would agree. And that is part of the strategy that uh, most people have. I would say strategy is profitability for most of our listeners. So with that, Nate, get out of here. I'll, uh, I want to interview Marty for the second time as our first repeat guest. All right. Well, great. As I said, happy to have Marty Strong back. Uh, Marty, I didn't know if you know this or not, but you were the first repeat guest to ever come on the Bull Bear Chair podcast. Did you know that? No, that's great. <laughs> Welcome back. For those of you that didn't hear last year's episode, Marty uh, has been a leader for decades, first in uniform as a combat decorated Navy SEAL, uh, then in commercial business. Marty is a thought-provoking writer. He's a speaker. He's a guest expert. He has, I think, over 350 appearances on TV, radio, podcast interviews. Uh, last year, we talked about Marty's book, Be Nimble, how the creative Navy SEAL mindset wins on the battlefield and in business, which was released, I think, January of 2022. This year, we'll be right. discussing Marty's new book, Be Visionary, Strategic Leadership in the Age of Optimization, which just came out uh, January 2023. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, welcome back to the show, Marty. I have uh, I've had tons of compliments on your interview last year, so I thought uh, I'd reach back out to you. And then when I did, I found out that you've been a busy guy writing uh, yet another book in a one year's period of time. Well, you know, I like to write. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good, and we'll uh, kind of jump right. In. I know we covered some of the some last year of. Uh, 
Navy SEAL, the training you went through, how all of that works. And so certainly for the listeners that want to go back, I'd strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that. I'd rather kind of dive into the new book and some of the terms and chapters and pieces in there. And if you're good, what I would like to start is, is there are some words just in the title. Again, that is Be Visionary, Strategic Leadership in the Age of Optimization. So when you break down those words, you know, obviously you thought about a title to the book, came up with it. You talk about thinking in a visionary manner, and that's a word that's thrown around a lot, but what does that mean to you? It's a, um, it's a continuum. It's a mindset, which, you know, a couple steps beyond behavior and habit in, in the case of either an individual, uh, professional or somebody who's in charge or responsible for an organization or whatever size. It could be a small business. It could be a division of a larger corporation. It could be a politician in charge of, you know, some um, political entity. But the, the point is that you need to not focus on the tips of your toes every day, not be reactionary, not look in the rearview mirror at all the metrics and all the measurements that you know, enabled technology has provided for us to greater, greater extents over the last, last decade mm-hmm. and actually kind of condition us to do. You need to step away from that, right? I say every day, and take a look at the horizon and push it out 24 months, 36 months, even 48 months and start thinking big thoughts. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into that because you talk a little bit about, you know, the three levels of, uh, of management. Um, and you talk about tactical strategic. And so I want to get into that a little bit too, because it's, it's easy to say, you know, work on your business, not in your business, look out front, not the tips of your toes, but many people got to where they were at. And I'm going to, I know I've, I've never been in seal training, certainly by any means, but I'm going to guess that you get real good in military you know, for, for a lot of folks, I should say, by looking at the tips of your toes and functioning on the tactical portion, but eventually a transition for a lot of people, same with business owners, has to happen to get into the strategic part. So I want to get into that in a little bit here, but the other word you use in there is called leadership. Do you think that leadership has changed over the years and how do you think it has, or is it the same old leadership, just different, uh, you know, different ways of doing it? Well, there's, I don't know if, the, if leadership has changed as much as there's a thousand plus different scenarios and situations that create a context for the type of leadership that's appropriate. The type of leadership that's appropriate in a political environment and, and a democratic society is completely different than the leadership you need in combat in the middle of a firefight. Mm-hmm. It's completely different than the leadership of a, a, a Fortune 50 company CEO and, and the C-suite team and the leadership required of a startup business owner mm-hmm. or a family, you know, the head of a family. And these are all different constructs. These are all different situations and they're all different scenarios. And I'm not saying that you can be all of those. You You could be the CEO who comes home and then you have a different paradigm, a different requirement for a different kind of leadership, or you're a politician, you know, and all of a sudden you get, you know, you're in the uh, National Guard, all of a sudden you find yourself in a foreign land as a National Guard officer serving, and you're getting shot at, and now you got to make military combat decisions as a mm-hmm. leader. So, you know, it's, you can't really, I guess, put everybody in a box and put everybody in a category, but it is all about dealing with the unusual, dealing with the change in the comfortable status of things because managers, in my opinion, are paid, hired to watch over the eggs, make sure everything's at the right temperature, make sure all the machines work, make sure all the talent clicks away at, at, you know, in accordance with their resume. And they're not necessarily trained and prepared for when the bottom falls out, when Mm -hmm. the supply chain suddenly gets shut off, when a storm takes out a key, you know, piece of equipment. These are things that are not part of management. These are things that, that stimulate and require leadership. Good. And the, uh, which is a good distinction between 
I think people, you know, often bucket managers and leaders in the same, you know, same word. They're interchangeable. But in fact, I agree with you. They are far from the same word. How do you look at strategy? That that for business owners is a tough word. You know, you, <clears throat> most people just like you to give them their strategy or tell them what their strategy should be. What does strategy mean for you from a guy who comes where you know, comes from a world where in the SEAL teams, I'm sure that strategy is one of the most important things that you're that you're learning and understanding. But for the common business owner, it's a very hard thing to wrap your heads around. What is the kind of keys to developing a strategy or things that people can do who are not used to doing it? So there's, there's kind of two uses of the word strategy. Uh, I kind of break it down between a verb and a noun. So the verb is when somebody says, what's your strategy to, and then they fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. They're looking for a roadmap. The, you know, how are you going to do it? Not what are you going to do? When you use it as a noun, it's an objective, a goal, an end state. And you have to define what that is. So, you know, the way of kind of reconciling those is my objective is to go to Wally World. That's my strategic goal. Uh My strategy is here. It's on my it's on my computer. I've mapped out the whole thing. Where I'm gonna stop, how long I'm gonna take, you know, how much fuel it's gonna take, how much it's gonna cost me. And when strategy is used as a verb, it really mystifies and clarifies, I guess, declarifies the point of the noun. People think they understand strategy because it's thrown around as a verb all the time, and it's exactly the opposite Uh of the noun use of that word. So that confusion has been going on for a long time. I think it's been going on more in the last 30 or so years because the business schools and then the media picking up off the business schools keep using the verb approach with strategy and so people think a strategy is your operations plan. Right. Which is almost and, ta- almost more reality, tactical than it is strategy. <laughs> right. Well, your operations plan is your trip to Wally World, the actual roadmap mm-hmm. with milestones and waypoints and resource uh, allocations and loads and things like that. So you need to have the cardinal direction, which is created by finding a point on the horizon and saying, that's where we're going. And I mean horizon kind of metaphorically. Right. We are going to go there in 24 months. A perfect example of a, of a strategic statement would be John F. Kennedy. We are going to put a man on the moon at the end of this decade. Uh-huh. All right. He didn't say how. He didn't say anything about the interim period. So he clearly put something, he put a marker on the horizon and say, that's the direction we're going. And that's the end state at the end of this trip. And it was everybody else's job to try to figure out how to get there. Right. So that, that's what every business owner, people, individuals, families, large organizations, they, they all have to kind of make first the distinction between those two kind of variations of what strategy is, how strategy is used in the common, the common discussions. And, and then say, okay, so I need, I just need to put a stake out there somewhere and aim towards it and then figure out what my operational plan is to get there. That is a good point too. And you could say, I want to accomplish X as the business owner or leader. Then you turn to your staff, your internal teams, your vendors, your relationships and say, this is my stake. What can you do to help me achieve X? Which is a very, very good point. You also talk. I want another restaurant. Like I want another restaurant in the neighborhood within three years. I want to have our business operating in India within 36 months. You know, I want this, this much of our revenue to be doubled by or tripled or whatever, whatever growth function within 48 months. And then they Mm -hmm. walk away and it's everybody else's job to figure out how. I like that. You talk in the, in the new book about the three levels of management. Can you kind of give us kind of the two minute overview of the three levels of management? So that's, a simplification, which a lot of times it, it's funny when you're a student of something, it's all you see is the watermelon. It's <laughs> like, it's wait, there's no way I can learn all of this. There's too many moves. There's too many formulas. There's too many tricks, uh, too many tactics. But by the time you become a master of something, it's back to being kind of simple. 
Mm-hmm. Real simple. Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to teach somebody who's brand new or, or thinking about it for the first time, you're not really gaining any, any traction by, by throwing the watermelon at them. Hey, figure all this out. So if you know what the master would say, that's often the best advice to give to people when they're just trying to figure this stuff out. So, so the oversimplification is this. In the military, they have three levels of engagement, tactical, operational, and strategic. Strategic is handled mostly by what they call the National Command Authority, the President, National Security Council, and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. They do that with input and feed from intelligence, intelligence agencies and from the leaders of the different military services. The operational level is what's executed by generals to achieve the strategic aims, the strategic goals. So it's the how. And the tactical level is how am I going to actually fly the plane, drive the tank of uh, your SEALs? How am I going to go in and take out a particular key target? That's the choreography of, you know, for a SEAL, the choreography of movement from point A to point B, doing the job and then trying to get out. So those are the three levels. And you often never, oh, I mean, not often, I've almost never heard the discussion put in that way in business. Mm-hmm. I, I've, got, I've got an undergraduate and a graduate degree in, in, in business and business management, and nobody taught me that. Nobody sat down and said there's these three levels. What's left out is the strategic level. Now, if I said to somebody, tactical slash technical, they instantly get what I'm talking about. Yep. It's where the, where the rubber meets the road, where, you know, it's ground truth, it's blue-collar engagement, it's the, you know, subject matter expert level, and it's how, you, do you plug it in here, or do you plug it in there, but it's, it's, it's that level of, of engagement. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you talk to somebody in a company and you say, you know, what's your plan to uh, get your numbers this year? Then they'll start giving you what is an operational plan. This is my marketing plan. This is my, these are my sales goals for just this 12-month period. And this is how we're stringing it all together to make sure everybody has what they need to achieve this. A lot of times, though, when I say, what's your strategic goal? What I get back is the same thing I just said. <laughs> right. In other words, they give me, they give me a short-range operational plan. Uh, I had one, one uh, business owner had been in business for five years actually a, a retired military officer, graduate of the Naval War College, so he would have been very you know, clear on those three levels of military um, leadership and planning. And I said, he wanted to talk to me about strategy. I said, sure. And, and I said, so what's your, what's your strategy? And he starts telling me for about five minutes this very eloquent discussion about his business development campaign. And then I said, well, wait a minute. So that, that's, that sounds good. So you're the only owner, right? So yeah, 100% ownership. I said, so what's your personal strategy? What's your exit strategy? He got into the business, and he just kind of stared at me. And it turned out that he'd been grinding for five years and didn't have any clue where it was going or why it was going. Mm-hmm. He had never thought about that level for himself. And, of course, when you don't do that, you may or may not invest in the future because you're not thinking about the future. You only spend the money you need in the short term to accomplish short-term objectives. And in his case, what about sustainment or excuse me, uh, um, who's going to replace him? Who, you know, do you have any kind of a plan for if you get hit sure, by what's car? What's the continuity to, to it? Retire? Right. What's the continuity operations plan? <clears throat> have you trained any subordinate leaders to step in slowly over a period of time? No, no thought at all. And so th- I in think the military, that's hardwired. <clears throat> well, and that's, that's, I guess, kind of goes back to where I said I was going to come back to it later. And you you, you talked a little bit about, I'm probably going to jumble a few things together because this was just something that came to me as I was looking, you know, through the book itself, is you talk about refining as you go. And there are two ways to, you know, attack a project or a plan or whatever is either I could basically plan it to death where I sit and think of every single scenario that could happen, might happen, won't happen, and will happen, plan it, plan it, plan it, plan it, then launch, or I get a pretty good idea, you know, on what I want to do, I launch, and I refine kind of along the way. So the only thing that I, that brings to mind for me is that, and you maybe tell me how this works in the military, but let's say your, your SEALs, 
they've they've come from somewhere some other line of military, right? They didn't just show up off uh, from my job into SEAL training, but is a lot of the training tactical? Are those are those folks boys and girls very very good at the tactical portion? And then you talk about the operational part of the military and strategic. I'm I'd like to assume that a lot of the generals came from being very good tactical people into the operational and maybe even into the strategic. But my point being is oftentimes the, the business owner, like the guy you just referenced, he knew how to grind, he knew how to get it done and he knew how to work and not give up. Right. Which takes you a long ways in life, I would argue. But at some point it's kind of the old, what got you here isn't going to get you there. How have you seen people who are very, very good tactical, which gets you somewhere in a short period of time, you know, gets the job done, so to speak, shift into that operational and strategic and get away from what got them so successful to what they've done? Well, in my experience, it's very difficult to pivot, Mm -hmm. especially the longer that they've been doing what you just described. Mm -hmm. It's an ingrained habit it's their DNA or it's their, their operating system. They have a hard time detaching. I'll say just spend 75% of your day doing that and spend 25% of your day thinking about the bigger thoughts Uh or or are you, is your operational effort actually leading you in a direction that makes any sense? For example, if you, if you think back, you know, back in the beginning of the last century, if you were the best wagon wheel maker in your town, and you may make it more efficient and cleaner and smoother and quieter, even, you know, rocking and rolling. At, at some point, you probably didn't look up and realize somebody had invented something called a car. <laughs> yeah. And so it didn't matter how efficient you were, how much time it spent to get that efficient or perfect. It doesn't matter how well you organize your supply chain for the parts to make your wagon wheels. It doesn't matter how robust your, your distribution uh, system is or how big your network of potential customers or existing customers is for wagon wheels. Wagon wheels are dead. Mm-hmm. You could insert Blackberry and there's a lot of different examples where no matter how well you think you can focus on the short term tactical, technical and operational, if you don't look up, either somebody's going to leapfrog you and eat your lunch or the very thing you're doing in the industry that you're in becomes moot. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to, to say to somebody the longer they've been grinding and doing all these things because they believe they can outwork the competition right. and I can muscle my way through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And outlive the competition. Right. Mm-hmm. But what if, you know, I'll say, well, what if that's not your competition in two years? Right. What if, <laughs> what if the whole industry point. goes away? You know, have you ever thought of adding something else that's somewhat complementary adjacent to what you're doing now that you have some skills in? You know, for example, if you're staffing and you're only staffing one particular talent, maybe you should start looking at where the market's, you know, rewarding another area of talent and then start to diversify a little bit and get ready for the, the transition. If, but, you know, I'd say probably the two, I call it the 2% rule, about 2% of everybody that you give advice to that are, they consider themselves successful mm-hmm. will actually change the way they do business based on that advice. Whether it turns out to be right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I would it's agree really with hard for somebody to walk away, walk away from what's been working for them. What are some exercises or things, you know, obviously <clears throat> it is hard for them to do it and they've gotten to whatever level of success they've gotten to. What are some ways that they can consciously try to break themselves from that habit pattern? So I had mentioned before that, you know, mindset stronger than a habit or just a simple behavior, but you have to start with, with the, the first changes in behavior, which is to create a habit of thinking about the future. And what I suggest to people is seven days a week, anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. If you can, if you can get 20 minutes, you clear your mind of all your to do's, you clear your mind of the problems you're trying to solve. Cause anybody that's either leading, managing or owns something like me probably goes to bed and wakes up with the same set of to-dos in their mind and the problem they've been trying to solve, mm-hmm. which means you're in a constant state of short-term focus. And in a lot of cases, it's short-term focus on something you've reacted to. 
So you have to get out of that mindset. You have to get out of that mode. And first, just push out to about 24 months. And there's a couple different ways you can do it. One is, where do I want to be personally with my family, my own well-being, financial, physical, whatever, in a year or, mm-hmm. or in two years? And kind of visualize what that would look like. Different house, different car, lost 20 pounds, you know, whatever it is. Because mm-hmm. you understand that. You can relate to that. And then the next thing is where do I want to be professionally in two years? Now, depending on whether you're an owner or you're an employee or you're in management, you may have a different answer to that. If you haven't been thinking strategically you're an owner, then you probably don't have an answer to that. That's right. my, my example. So you add that in next. And then when you're done with that, if you're in charge of an organization or a company, you then say, where do I want my organization to be in 24 months? What do I want it to look like, feel like? position in the marketplace. Do I want it to be respected? Is that more important than making more money than I'm making now? Do I want to make, um, do I want to make people happy? Do I want to, you know, whatever it is that you, you want to visualize that, for that organization. And then you go, go ahead and spend the rest of your day doing your grind. If you do that every day, it's funny. It's like any other habit, except this is your mind. The mind has two switches. There's a bunch of brain science. Actually, my third book, I'm working on right now is, is focused on divergent thinking and the difference between divergent thinking and covergent or essentially compliance and obedience, uh, obedience to rules and regulations and controls, which stifles and stymies and shuts down creative and innovative thinking. Well, there's actually two switches in your brain. You're not really a left or right brain. It's not that simple. They figured all this out. You have a switch that is your task focus switch. When that gets clicked on, the whole brain focuses on the task that he wanted to focus on. Mm-hmm. When the other switch is clicked, they call it the foraging or the exploration switch. And this, these are both ancient parts of our brain. And in the foraging, it's because at some point, ancient man had to stand up, walk away from the comfort and security of the fire and the water and their friends and go out over the next hill looking for food. Mm-hmm. They had to go out into the unknown. They had to take risks to gain reward so that switch takes you off of the the small minute task function and you shift into a different thing that's where discovery and wonder and awe and you know risk taking for benefit that's where all that happens when when that switch is on they aren't on at the same time right (laughs) either you're on or off (laughs) yeah very, yeah. very difficult to be sitting there making spear points at the same time you're, you know, getting ready to take big risks over the hill. Right. So what's happened is through conditioning, if you're doing the to-do list, and I didn't even know this when I wrote this book. I found this out in the last six months talking to some people that are involved in brain science. But it makes perfect sense. You, you know, the old thing about multitasking, well, this is different. This is, you can't be a dreamer and a strategic thinker and visualize and envision, and envision things if you're working on this little to-do list. Mm-hmm. You have to stop that. This is where the exercise comes in handy. You have to stop that and almost consciously force yourself to click the other switch on. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do that as a regular habit, the weird thing that happens is subconsciously your brain understands what you've been doing and it starts to be a different context in the way you accept information every day. Sure. Pretty soon you, People are bringing you intelligence or information about the, the marketplace, uh, your competition, what's going on in the company, and you start to think of it in the context of the future. You're not as reactive. You're starting thinking about, well, if so-and-so is really sharp and they've got a lot of excess capacity, but their job right now you know, doesn't really need it, what would I do with them? How could I develop them for a year from now? Sure. And Because if you're not doing this, this is kind of the downside, and I think most people listening would realize this is the reality. Investing in your people, investing in training, investing in research and development, investing in new systems, you know, investing in going into a new market, these are things that have been waning for a long time mm-hmm. because short-term gratification is measured in cash. Right. And like shit, stock prices are measured in how much cash you have, not how much cash you burned trying to do the things I just mentioned. Right. But if you don't do those things, you're going to end up like that wagon wheel maker one day 
and realize you're going to, you know, have to go work at the Ford plant making whatever the heck your job is to make because you're out of business. <laughs> All right, remember old what's his name? He made great wagon wheels. <laughs> yeah, aren't you? Aren't you that guy? <laughs> <laughs> that guy that used to. <laughs> 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 uh, no, those are excellent points. It is definitely a tough thing to do, and so it's it is definitely making the habit pattern change. Now, when you talk about you know kind of refining as you go. And again, your nose to the grindstone, you're trying to make things happen. How do you know when to make adjustments to something? Well, I think if you're, you're familiar with rapid prototyping, and that's become more and more popular because the technology is so fragile. It's, it's so so frivolous in a way. And, you know, as soon as somebody makes something, somebody else makes something slightly better. So it's impossible to make a product that's perfect right out of the box. Mm-hmm. That used to be the model. And, and then it would have a shelf life of, you know, three, four, five, six years, whatever. And then the secondary shelf life was to sell it overseas. Mm-hmm. So you weren't in a, you weren't being pressured to come up with the be all end all, per, end all perfect product. Like they were say in the seventies and the eighties and rapid prototyping now reacts to market feedback. And then they can go back because they're in a rapid prototyping mode. They can upgrade and fix and deliver something in three months that's better than what was the new bomb diggity three months earlier. Mm-hmm. So think of it that way. And think of that instead of making a product or a widget, you're a leader or it's your leadership team, and you are going to develop a new solution. You can aim for perfect. You can try to thread the needle and, and, and hit, hit, that, hit that little little tiny space where the, where the thread goes through the needle and survive or suffer all that effort to get it there. Or you can get it most of the way there and then work out the bugs for the last part of it. I, I think I have a chapter about the 80, I call it the 85% rule. You're aiming for 85% of the outcome. In my experience, and this is borne out in the history of business, I think, at least in the United States, there are lots of examples of companies that thought they had a great idea either an internal system process overhaul or a product or a service external for sales. And they waited so long to make it perfect that the world passed them by. So that's what I mean. You got, you have to aim for about 85% operational, not perfect. The only, the only place where this rule falls apart is, is like flying a, an airliner and, sure. and brain well, there's surgery. no margin of <laughs> no room for error. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can't kind of go kind of sort of 85% <laughs> Fix the tumor in the brain. So, um, but you know, with people, human human systems processes, right. with products, with, uh, supporting systems and processes, and you know, when people get into this, you know, they, it's accounting systems. Think of big support systems. They're expensive. Implementation takes a long time. So they go through due diligence and they go through long because they've all got a history of you know. Here, I'll give you ten horror stories of when mm-hmm. we did this in my in my career. And everybody's afraid to pull the trigger then, on which one to do, which one to right. pick. <laughs> right. right. And they wanted to make, they want to make it the perfect does everything thing, which is really weird because I've gone through this as a CEO and I've had advisors come to me and say, well, you know, agonize in front of me. And, and, and so eventually I find out that there was probably other options that were less expensive and they may, may have not been the, um, the full integrated, you know, G whiz 5,000, whatever that right. plugs into everything in the universe and makes breakfast for you. <laughs> However, there are other elements and other companies and other systems that you can put in there. And while it may look a little disjointed, you can upgrade any one of those at any time, right. a lot less cost and a lot less implementation time. So once you've committed to the battleship, you're stuck with a battleship. And then, then the, the, the decision to get rid of the battleship is just as agonizing, if not worse. <laughs> Because I'm so committed to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good point. So it's just important that you get it out there, get it moving. And then I suppose your your mindset shift too also applies to you look at it different when your competitor does something instead of, well, oh my gosh, make ours do it too. You can step back and say, why are they doing that? Does that make sense? Is there something I'm not seeing here? And looking at it long enough would say, I see what they did. And I can anticipate the next iteration. So they might have me for a minute, but I'll be right behind them with the next best thing as well. Right. And a part of this is everybody 
everybody's been conditioned from a young age to respect and worship the concept of stability. Mm-hmm. So they all want it to just be over and done and we'll have the system <laughs> so or we'll have true. whatever. This org chart's not going to change for five years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Marie, Marie uh, Curie, who discovered radium, she has a quote, the universe abhors stability. Mm-hmm. Nothing in the universe is static. Everything in the universe is a constant state of change. At the at the uh, at the atomic level, molecular level, all the way all the way up. So everything around you is a constant state of change. And I had this kind of I wake up in the morning with this um, feeling in the back of my my head that the universe just shuffled my future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it made a whole bunch of changes that I'm not going to be aware of. And so I always have to be on my toes. I constantly look around. I'm very curious. I'm, I'm, I'm soaking up information from every source I can. I'm waiting for a tell. I'm waiting for a micro trend. I'm waiting for a bigger trend to start because it's happening all the time. It's, for sure. Whether it's the climate's going to change because it's changed, you know, documented through science, it's changed a you know, hundred times in the last million years. It's going to change again. Um, mankind is going to go through changes and biologically we're going to go through change. Everything's going to happen. So that, that kind of goes against the whole idea of, can't you just stabilize this? Can't <laughs> we you just, just be done? Because the- <laughs> we have to change all the time. Right. You know, because change is what the universe is all about. Yeah. So be a master of change and communicating the value of that change. And you're a long way, a long way into being a good leader. One of the last questions I have for you here, well, it's actually second to the last one. Next one's more of a general one for you, but, uh, all these things, you know, habit patterns, the way we've always done it, all the things that make it so difficult to improve is, is based on change. And you've probably never experienced this as, you know, a CEO of the company that you ran, but how would, how would the rest of us deal with people who are resistant to changing? <laughs> oh, I have no, I have no uh, secret formula for that. You know, people keep, Damn it. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I can be inspirational, motivational, I can uh, be charming, I can get people fired up, and as soon as they walk out of the room, about 20 minutes later, their their normal nature kicks in, and they're like, oh, yep. you know, it's change. Yep. Um, I, I tend, and I'm ready to be visionary when it comes to uh, putting together the actionable concepts from your vision in, so that you can create a strategy, an actual operational plan. It's you use your dreamers, like your positive thinkers and your people that aren't afraid to change. It's kind of like your dream development team. Yep. And what I mean by that is it doesn't matter where the, the idea came from, but have them take the idea and put, put you know, muscle to the bone. Mm-hmm. And, and then use your naysayers, the people that hate change, the people that say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Use those people in another team, try to punch holes in the first, the first team's out, output. Because you have to keep grounded. Use their negativity and, and, as an advantage, <laughs> right? Because that's their value at that point, right? Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna convince them all to be something different. I'm, what I'm doing is I'm saying, look, you guys hate this kind of stuff. Here you go. And then you listen to, you know, because dreamers can get can get crazy and yep. not think about practicality for sure. And people that aren't dreamers do nothing but think about practicality and and. So you don't throw them in a room together and have them fight it out. You just basically have one product, like a think tank, and then you put it in another another think tank, and then you look at what they came up with. It doesn't mean you're going to take everybody's insights and inputs, but you get a chance to kind of throw it against the wall and see if it, it survives. And right. that, to me, is more actionable. It's more practical than trying to convert all the naysayers and the, the uh, people that hate change to try to convert them into – you know, the other group, it's just not going to happen. I res- um, I, I, the parents couldn't do it. The parents couldn't do it. You know, I, I'm, I'm not <laughs> 40 around, years into being negative. It's a hard thing to change. <laughs> well, not just negative. Just, I mean, people yeah. see, Oh, I know what you in mean. This context, it feels like a negative behavior trait, but it's back to my universe thing. You're living in denial. Mm-hmm. If you think that stability is, is the way to go. I agree. You're just one, you're just one, some, the universe is going to trip you up somehow. They're going to do something. They're going to change a the law. They're going to change the weather. They're going to change the, the hairstyles and fashion. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to be wrong. Yeah. And, and you're going to end up having to, you know, deal with it and grudgingly agree to change in, into the new normal. But it's coming. I would agree. I would agree. It is inevitable. It's what makes life exciting, though. 
So last yeah. last question then is obviously you've written, you know, these the last two books of Be Nimble, Be Visionary, which is out right now. So I'd recommend anybody head to Amazon. Things so easy to order. Get it, read it. Artie is full of insight. But what what's next for you? What else are you working on? Well, so I, I have nine novels, but the the last of those novel series came out last June. And the I'm trying to convert uh, the sci-fi series to Audible format. All the sealed books, all five of them, are now in Audible. They're in Audible, Kindle, and paperback. And all the all the proceeds of my novels go to the Seal Veterans Foundation. Oh, cool! And the business books, I am writing the third in the trilogy. I actually got a very nice response back from the from my publisher, who's very excited about making it a trilogy and being a part of the third book. So that's nice. I got that Saturday. Uh, it's going to be called "Be Different." Um, how Navy Seals and Entrepreneurs bend, break, or ignore the rules to get results. Cool. And it's essentially about divergent thinking and creative thinking, innovative thinking, and and applying that in business, in organizations, in life to essentially kind of break free from all the rules. And, and you know, I, I make a distinction. I'm, I'm, I'm only a couple chapters into it, but I make a distinction up front that I'm not talking about so much the rules of physical activity, physical actions. It's more about thought. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's okay to still tell your kid not to touch a hot stove but or somebody not to drive at 160 miles an hour through you know traffic. However, telling them that they can't think this way because we've always done it this way or you can't you can't listen to that particular thought leader because they don't align with our, our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of things that I'm attacking in the book and trying to get not just the people reading it, but if they're if they have influence on their organizations, et cetera, to to try and uh, expand and grow and evolve. Awesome. Very cool. I can't say thank you enough for all certainly that you've done for our country, certainly all you've done for our listeners, all you've done for all the people's lives that you've changed through your experiences life. So, you know, from uh, behalf of us and all of our listeners, thank you, Marty. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, we look forward to maybe having you on next year. We'll discuss the new book. Congrats on uh, Be Visionary being out. It's a, it's a great read. Like I said, recommend it. Anybody get uh, get their hands on that, read it. It will make you a better, I would say, not only business owner, but a better person as well. Marty, you go have a great day today. Thanks again. All right. You too. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye.